Welcome to Your Daily Drive. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm glad that you are here. I want to talk about how we get into our problems and how we get out of our problems. I had someone go through a a traumatic experience in a relationship a number of years ago, and they gave me some notes of the things that the Lord had taught them as they were going through this experience and coming out on the other side. And as I looked at the notes, I saw 13 sequential steps, a process of how he got into trouble and how he was cooperating with the Lord to get out of the trouble. And I thought it was so instructive so pneumatic, so spirit-led, and so practical for all of us. The path to dysfunction is unmarked and hidden. Nobody knows they are on that path until it's too late. But there are subtle indicators, but we rarely discern them. The most apparent one is a I-deserve-better attitude And of course, that's what happened to my friend Biff. He had this attitude that I deserve better, which basically meant he did not like where he was. And anytime you get that kind of attitude to where you don't like where you are, to the point to where you start grumbling and complaining about it, you may be on the path to dysfunction. And so I want to talk about it in this podcast. Now, you can... Uh, substitute any word that you want with the word dysfunction because all of us are different. We all have our own issues, and so my dysfunctional path will be different from yours. But I titled this podcast From Adultery to Restoration in 13 Steps, and so I'm going to use the illustration of adultery as the subject matter, but again, that may not apply to you. I hope it doesn't apply to you. But something does, you do have a struggle, you are tempted toward unhappiness, you're tempted to grumble, and because of that, you can just substitute the word adultery from where I am, whatever that is, whatever that subject is, to restoration in 13 steps. And so I want to talk about this dysfunctional, unmarked, and hidden path, and I hope these indicators will help you as you think about your own life and give you clues as well as giving you some direction in what you want to do. But first, I want to say thank you to Carla and Debbie and Pamela and Teresa and Bill, James, Vincent, Joshua, Kimberly, and Bert. All of them have uh, either become members or made donations to our ministry over the last few days. That's Bert and Kimberly and Joshua, Vincent, James, Bill, Teresa, Pamela, Debbie, and Carla. And I want to say thank you for doing that, and I want to explain to you what you have done this past weekend. I published our third book. It's called Get Ready. It's a paperback book. It's 200 a little more than 200 pages that you can order from Amazon. A marriage book. Get ready. You all help publish that book. The total publishing is $1,200 for us to publish it. It's about $15 complete as we do a little bit of marketing. 
And so for $1,500, uh, $1, you helped to get this book published. And I want to thank you particularly because you are our most recent members or donors to the ministry. And I want you to know what you're doing. What you're doing, you will not know fully until you get to heaven. But what you are doing is you're helping people in Australia and Africa, the Philippines, the United Kingdom, China, all over America, South America, Canada. You're helping people all over the world, and you need to know that. I want you to know that. This book will go all over the world. It will impact a spouse, and it will impact spouses, a married couple. It will change families, God willing, that the Lord will use it that way. And so the Lord is using you. And so I just want to say thank you for our newest members, Carla, Debbie, Pamela, Teresa, Bill, James, Vincent, Joshua, Kimberly, Bert. Thank you for your membership. Thank you for your donation. I just want to say it over and over again that I am grateful for what you are doing because you're partnering with us in this great gospel mission that we are on, and we have published our third book, and you can get it on Amazon with the other two. Suffering Well is the second one, and the first one is Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook, and so you can get all three of those books, including this third one, Get Ready, a marriage book, and I trust that it will benefit you, and thank you for helping us do what we do if you want to read this podcast word for word, again, I had a, a gentleman who went through a traumatic experience in a relationship a number of years ago. It's been quite a while now, and he gave me some cliff notes, and I expanded on these cliff notes because they were so good, and I titled this From Adultery to Restoration in 13 Steps. Let me talk to you about them my friend Biff was frustrated with Mabel. By the way, I had a lady in Australia ask me if I would do more writing on Biff. And I told Lucia a couple nights ago after I finished this book that I think my, I, I want to do a book called The Life and Times of Biff and Mabel. That's all I have as far as a title, but I'm thinking about a tentative title, The Life and Times of Bill Finn Mabel, and I want to share some of their story with you. They're getting quite the following, and uh, I'm glad about that. They find themselves in all sorts of trouble, and I find myself uh, relating to them very well, as my friend in Australia and her ladies group is doing similarly. But anyway, Bill was frustrated with Mabel for most of their marriage. They used to be high school sweethearts, and everyone predicted their future. Mabel was everything to Biff, and he was the apple of her eye. Guess what? They got hitched. They got married. When a couple gets married, life happens fast and without breaks. They could not pinpoint a time when they drifted apart. It was not like they woke up one morning and realized they were on different pages. The divide happened slowly over a long period. They never understood what happened until Biff crashed into sin. 
After a few weeks of counseling, a lot of tears, and mutual repentance, we began to unpack what happened. Talking about the problems was not a process to dredge up the past. And that's not what problem talking should ever be about, to dredge up the past and use it in a punitive way. But if you want to change your future and you want to do better, you want to improve, then you do have to talk about the past. And so we began talking about the past. It was an attempt to understand it so that they would not repeat it again. And from our discussions, a pathology, and what I mean by that word, cause and effects, a pathology, cause and effects of what happened began to emerge. And as you listen to this pathology, 13 steps, you'll be able to see how and why things unraveled the way that they did, as well as what Biff and Mabel needed to do to repair their broken marriage. There are 13 steps, and I've titled this Adultery to Restoration. You you can substitute, again, you can substitute any word that you want to for adultery. But 13 steps from my problem, whatever it may be, to restoration. Step number one, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is an anti-gospel attitude. It is a mindset that says, I deserve more than what I am getting The self-righteous person has a high view of himself, which was the defining characteristic of Biff's heart. Few people will own their self-righteousness, and even fewer can discern it in themselves. Biff certainly did not have a sober self-assessment, though his high-mindedness bled through his actions and attitudes. His friends saw what he couldn't see but they did not try to help him. I don't know if it was fear of man, and they did not want his rejection, or they craved his approval, or they just really didn't care enough to speak into his life. But Biff's attitude, I deserve more than what I am getting. Now, typically, we don't view that as self-righteousness. We don't attach a biblical category to that kind of attitude. But you will hear people grumbling and complaining, and I'm not talking about in an episodic way because we all complain in an episodic way, but this is a pattern in some people's lives, and what they're really saying is, I deserve more than what I am getting, and that is a self-righteous person. And once you get on that path where you cannot come to the place of finding shalom in the midst of your problem, whatever your problem may be, you're going to start elevating yourself, thinking you deserve better. The Bible is very clear. We, we deserve hell. Anything above that is a perk. And so step number one is self-righteousness. Number two is selfishness. Biff not only saw himself as deserving better, but he had selfish expectations of others to meet his desires. A man with a high view of himself always has high expectations from others. Unlike the tax collector in Luke 18, who would not look up to heaven but pleaded for mercy, Biff had a different perspective on life. The Bible's assessment of us is worthless. Those are not my words, or that's not my word. That's Paul's word in Romans 3.12. 
That is the biblical baseline for all people. Of course, that's why we have a gospel. Christ came to elevate depraved dead people who could not help themselves by making them alive. But our Adamic tendencies blind us to who we are. We can easily think we deserve better, and when this happens, our expectations and demands will begin to morph extraordinarily, which is what happened to Biff. He was not getting his love cup filled like when they were dating. He expected more from Mabel. And so this pathology from his problem to restoration, it began with this elevated attitude of self-righteousness. I deserve more, which turned into point number two, selfishness. Now we're starting to make demands on other people to meet our quote-unquote needs. And then point number three, jealousy. Biff said he started to become jealous. As life picked up the pace, Biff began to get jealous of Mabel's friends, especially the ones in her Bible study. Mabel thought she was loving God by being in a study and building relationships with her friends. Biff understood this, but he was frustrated because he was not because he was getting an overworked and exhausted wife who was more interested in sleeping than meeting his quote-unquote needs. Biff chose not to be redemptive by working through this problem with Mabel, and his jealousy grew. When these problems begin to germinate and to take root in your heart, you must deal with them redemptively. If you ignore them, they will not ignore you. His good desires for his wife's love began to turn into an insidious, I want more of you, which began to put pressure on Mabel. This demanding attitude was confusing to Mabel. It's a Bible study for crying out loud. Why can you why do you have a problem with that? The connection of his jealousy to his self-righteousness did not register with her. You see what happened? He had a I deserve better attitude, point number one. It began to turn into selfish demands, point number two. And now it's morphing into jealousy. The subtlety of sin is hard to discern sometimes. Besides, they appeared to have it all together, which is a typical presentation for self-righteous people as they strive to control the narrative in their lives. And so Biff was presenting himself to friends and family as having it all together and everything is okay. Biff was a hard worker. And his life, for the most part, had gone according to his expectations. But if it did not go according to his preferences, he was able to steer the problem in the direction of his choosing and move on to the next thing. God was more of a partner with Biff than the Lord over Biff. What that meant is God, uh, Biff was using God to get what he wanted And so God is a come-along friend, a partner with Biff rather than the Lord over Biff. It was when he could not fix his marriage that his self-reliant, me-centered worldview became apparent. Finally, God had worked Biff into a corner to where he could not steer everything according to his preferences. He could not control, manage his life in totality. 
And so this little jealousy problem that he had with his wife, not getting the time that he demanded from her, it began to grow into this insidious thing. Step one, self-righteousness. Step two, selfishness demands. Step three, jealousy. And then step four, assessment. Biff began to work on all these things that he knew to fix. Fix. He analyzed and overanalyzed the situation. He even made some admissions with moderate changes. Biff was Mr. Fix-It. Unfortunately, he was addressing the wrong problem. He tried to spend more time with Mabel. That's not fixing the problem because the problem was in his heart. He took her on a couple of trips that he had suggested in the past. He bought her a few things, and they started dating again. Mabel liked the new Biff, but still sensed there was a hollowness in their marriage. Still yet, she could not put her finger on it. And to complicate matters, she was still tired and had the same struggles, which meant she was not giving Biff what he wanted, what he believed he deserved. He even told her this by reminding her of all he was doing for her and the children. And so they took an assessment of the situation and made moderate changes, but it was all behavioral modification. They changed their lifestyle externally, but because of the subtleties of sin, they did not realize the insidious nature of it and how the self-righteousness and the selfishness and the jealousy well, point number four is assessment, and they had the wrong assessment. And guess what happened? Point number five, anger. This juncture was when he started to express his anger more consistently. He had examined his heart and life. He made some adjustments, but Mabel did not change to the degree that he expected her to improve. He began to let her know about it, which did not go well. Sinful reactions to not getting what you want is a clear indicator your heart motive is not pure. It is okay to desire something, but it is not okay to sin if the person does not meet those desires. And Biff was sinning. Point number five is anger. And his anger began to push Mabel away, which only exacerbated his jealous demands. The more she distanced herself from his anger, the more jealous he became. The more jealous he became, the angrier he became. The angrier he became, the more she distanced herself. And the cycle continued. Because Biff believed he deserved better, he had no qualms about letting Mabel know about his displeasure. He was never overtly mean to her. His anger manifest as sulking and silent treatment and little verbal jabs. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. He did not have to assault her. He was killing her softly with micro signs of disappointment. They were in a civil but vicious cycle from which they could not extricate themselves. Point number five, anger. Point number six in this 13-step path, pathology is blame. Because Biff had fully assessed the situation, point number four, the situation and had made all the personal adjustments that he knew to make, it was apparent, at least to him, who had the problem. When he was not sulking in anger, he was blaming her, which was another form of his frustration with her. A blaming tongue connects to a self-righteous heart. 
This attitude was the problem with the Pharisee. In Luke 18, you remember, he was glad he was not like the tax collector. Biff was delighted that he was not like Mabel while expecting her to be like him. The more he blamed, the more he felt justified in his rightness. I am right, and you are wrong. At this point, it was not so much about redeeming a miserable marriage as much as divvying up the blame. Gospel people are redeeming people. Self-righteous people are blaming, justifying, and rationalizing people. But now they were so deep into the pathology of the problem that only a catastrophe could salvage them. Once you start blaming your spouse for the problems in the marriage, it will not be long before you start thinking like a sinful victim who deserves better, which ties back to the core underlying problem of self-righteousness. I deserve better. And so Biff was blaming point number six, and it led to point number seven, apathy. From Biff's perspective, he had done everything he knew to do, and nothing changed. His heart began to turn cold. He was in the checking out process. He was checking out of the marriage. His mind okayed what he was doing, code, his mind justified. He justified himself to drift to other things to satisfy his longings. His desires were chaotic and he was angry. It was only a matter of time before he would be lured away, according to James chapter 1. Apathy is an innocuous way of saying unlove. Apathy doesn't sound as bad. Unlove is a less harsh way of saying hate. Point number seven here is apathy, but the proper biblical word is hate. Biff was too Christianized to say he hated his wife, but it would only be self-righteous posturing to put a better spin on how he was thinking and behaving. He did not like his wife any longer, which set him up for a temptation Biff, like the rest of us, does not live in a vacuum. Our hearts are wired to worship, and if God is not the object of our worship, something else will take his place. While apathy does not sound as heinous as other sins, it is nonetheless false worship. It is idolatry. God would kill a person for the sin of idolatry in the Old Testament. Biff was not worshiping God any longer. He was worshiping himself and his apathy was a clue. Point number eight was lust. Biff's unchecked desires put him on a fast track to sin. By the time he realized what he was doing, it was too late. He was in a dark place. At that point, several things happened. One, he felt justified. He deserved a break. Number two, he was frustrated, so he did not care. Number three, he had sinned, so he decided to give up the fight and take the plunge into more sin. I mean, once you jump in, you might as well go all the way. And then number four, he was self-righteous. He would not confess what he was doing. Justified, frustrated, sinning, and self-righteous. That is a disastrous combination. Sin had captured Biff. Lust is any ungodly craving to satisfy an idolatrous soul. We all do it, though we rarely understand fully the why or how until it is too late. It was too late for Biff. He was in a trap of his own making, 
which is the point where he had to decide if he was going to get off the sin train or ride it until it crashed. He knew the inevitability of what he was doing, and he chose to crash and burn. Sometimes a person can go for years like this, and without question, God does not deal with us according to what we deserve. He is a grace-giving, mercy-expending God. Sometimes people come to their senses on their own. Other times, God sets things up to drive a person into a corner from which he cannot escape. Number eight is lust. Number nine is gospel, the title of the podcast, From Adultery to Restoration in 13 Steps. We're at number nine, the gospel. The part Biff was missing was a thorough understanding of the gospel. He understood it regarding his salvation, but he did not fully understand it regarding his sanctification There was a level of deservedness in Biff's theology. He did not view himself as the worst of the worst. Paul said, as I said earlier in 3.12 of Romans, that we are worthless. While he would check the box saying, I am a sinner, he was a bit smug and stuck on himself. His self-righteousness never manifested because he was never challenged or went through anything that he could not fix. The problem was self-reliance. He had intellectually signed off on the gospel, but was living a detached life from this good news. It was after he came up against something that he could not change when his greater than, I deserve better mindset became detrimental to his soul. It was like cancer that is never triggered. It lives in dormancy, and one day it is triggered, and the body begins to deteriorate rapidly. Biff had undetected self-righteousness, which was triggered when his marriage was no longer meeting his perceived needs or inner cravings. The power and effect of the gospel partners with his needy and undeserving partners with needy and undeserving hearts. That's the only kind of soil in which the gospel will work, needy and undeserving hearts. Like oil and water, the gospel will not function in the self-righteous heart like Biff's. Christ did not come for the righteous. He looked for the unrighteous, the sick, the dead, the undeserving. Once we begin elevating our hearts and minds above this baseline condition of the gospel, we're on a dark path. Point number nine, the gospel. Number ten, unrighteous. Biff began to see how his thinking was not in line with the gospel. He realized he was not righteous. He was not righteous. And what he deserved was a Christless eternity in hell. He became convinced he was not better than anyone else. God's common and special grace were acts of mercy for him to enjoy, not to expect, as though he merited both of those things. The beggar is not fussy. He is grateful. Biff began to embrace the reality of his undeserving soul. The ointment of the gospel began to heal him from the inside out. His thoughts were becoming countercultural. He was no longer esteeming himself, self-esteem, but accurately seeing himself in the light of the gospel. Contrary to cultural presuppositions, thinking less of yourself is the beginning of healing. Number 10, unrighteous. He went from number 9, the introduction to the gospel, to number 10, unrighteous. He's going down. Once you meet the gospel, you start going down. And so number 10 was unrighteous. Number 11 is repentance. 
Biff began a process of repentance as his sin was becoming ever so clear to him. Instead of being discouraged by it, hope was filling his soul. When you are fully aware that you are at the bottom and you cannot help yourself, you look outside yourself for help. Coming to an end of yourself and realizing you're bankrupt is not sad news, but the beginning of the good news. Number 11, repentance. Number 12, grace and mercy. Biff embraced his bankruptness. God was waiting for him to express his need. God gives grace to the lowly humble, but will oppose the exalted proud. The Lord opened the floodgates, and Biff was the recipient of God's undeserved favor. He was no longer demanding, but appreciative. Anything above hell is a perk. It took Biff bottoming out before he realized the true state of his life without God's grace. Number 12, grace and mercy. And finally, number 13, redemption. Biff was now humbly positioned to participate in the restoration of his marriage, not just behaviorally, but from a transformed heart. He did not come to his wife as a person who felt like he deserved better than what he was getting. He came to her as a humble, broken, but a grateful servant. He was no longer controlled by what he expected her to do or be for him. God commanded him, and Biff was seeking to discern how he could serve his wife humbly. This kind of humility put him in a position of strength. His marriage was on the road to recovery. The gospel is counterintuitive to the ways of our culture. The ongoing key for Biff will be preaching this gospel message to himself every day for the rest of his life. If he does this while putting himself in the context of a caring community, he will experience fortification from repeating this process in the future. This podcast is titled From Adultery to Restoration in 13 Steps. You can substitute adultery with any problem you have from your problem to restoration in 13 steps. Thank you so much for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.